so. Let's see. It's Thursday, November 2nd, 2023, and we're in the um, Fred Bertelson Old Time Radio Room. Time for some old radio. Dan- it's Daniel tonight, isn't it? Correct. Uh so that's like less than a half hour from now because we got started a little late. Um, let me quickly talk about talk about what's happening with regard to same time same time same station. Uh, Howard McNear is our spe- our, our future our um, not our speaker. Come on, our he's our performer of the of the probably year because it's going to take that long to finish all this stuff. And so we're into the early early 1940s now. So you'll hear Romance of the Ranchos, Cavalcade of America, and Lux Radio Theater. That one's Here Comes Mr. Jordan. And that'll all be on Same Time, Same Station. And a fun show. It shows you how diverse he is listening to some of this stuff. And so that's this Sunday in most places, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, yesterday, USA, last night, we uh, John and I and Walden sat down and had a nice chat with uh, Leonard Walton. That was fun. Oh, awesome. Uh, m- mostly about Disney and uh, the company, etc. And and because it's their 100th anniversary this year. So, so we did that and played some shows. Tonight, Walden and Patricia. I'm trying to think. Is there a guest tonight, Walden? Yes. I thought so, but I'm trying to remember who. Ruta Lee. Well, how could I forget Ruta Lee? I don't know. She's been on twice, Uh two or three times. Yeah. Yeah. And it was awesome. So she'll be on for the third time tonight. Uh, and so if you get a chance to listen to that, that's 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. Uh, Walden and John will be there tomorrow. I'll be gone all for the weekend, but, but with Bob Lyons tomorrow night. And then Walden and Patricia again back on Saturday. And then we'll be back on Sunday. I think I'll be back in time. We'll see. Is there a guest on Sunday? Yes. Okay. Don't know if I'll make that or not. Is this, let's see, this one, is it Carl this Sunday? John Barber this Sunday. Oh, John John Barber was fun. He was on with this, what, maybe 10 years ago, eight to 10 years ago? Yeah. 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 So... Yeah, we'll see if I get back in time. Um, let me come back to you in just a second so you can talk about anything else that, that I may have missed or something you want to plug. Um, but the marathon coming up on the 16th of December. And... We're getting closer and closer. We've got some some shows in, got more to get in, uh, but we pretty much everything's been pretty much thought of in terms of listings, etc. So it should be fun. I think we're going to have a good time. You will hopefully enjoy it. 
And I think that's all I had. Walden, why don't you take it and tell us about anything else that, that either A, I may have missed, or B, that you'd like to plug again a little more. Where'd you go, go, Walden? Turn on my uh, microphone. That uh, helps. Yes, it does. Uh, International Ben Crosby program is this Sunday at 11.45, if you're a member of that organization. They have a two-hour Zoom meeting. Monday, Carl Murray will be with John and I, and hopefully Larry. I think so. Uh, next Wednesday, it will be Keith Scott and Mark Castro to talk about Disney a little more. Next Thursday, a week from tonight, is Joe Moore's son, Anthony, will be with us. On Saturday the 11th, it will be the preview of the auction at 12 o'clock, both on red and blue. Just moving ahead because it's always fun to look ahead. Sunday the 12th, a period on Bing Crosby Part 2. Our next time we'll catch on the 14th. 18th is a busy day. Starting at noon on Saturday, the Yesterday USA auction. 2 o'clock is the reps meeting with two recreations. 6 o'clock, Beverly Washburn is a guest on Carl Murray Hollywood 365. Hollywood 360. 60, okay. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then two guys from Humbug, Arizona, will be with us at 7.30 that night. Yeah, there is a Humbug, Arizona. Uh, and Doug Hopkins will be with us back on Monday the 20th. And Thanksgiving, it'll be Johnny and Helen Holmes. And before we know it, Larry and I will be hitting the road up to Seattle on the 30th. So I'll just put everything else on hold. So back to you, Larry. That's a lot of stuff. Lots of things going on. Remind me to uh, chat with you about a couple of rehearsals that have come up. Okay. So we need to talk about streaming, etc. Yeah. There's there's two or three instances that I know of that I just found out about, so we can talk about that later on. Okay. Um, it's 10 minutes after the hour, and... We'll throw it back to everybody else in the room. Uh, there's a small amount of people. Anything else that I've missed that anybody else would like to talk about or plug before we begin? I, I have a question. If uh, they live in Humbug, Arizona, do they have a Merry Christmas? You might ask. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah, yeah, see if they... And did Howard McNair, did he play anything in particular? Did he direct? For some reason, that name is familiar to me, and I don't normally keep track of names so i must have heard it well, he played doc on gunsmoke, gunsmoke. he was oh, doc on radio he was okay. he was um floyd the barber on andy griffith oh, on tv really? okay he he was awesome at that i love him in that role he, yeah. do, i have do, a question we got you got a little scratchiness going on there uh daniel sorry i have, a, okay. I have a question i don't know if you, you have an answer for this actually two two things First of all, um, Land of the Lost has come up with about like uh, 20 new episodes, I understand. I, yeah, they're about 130 now total. How do I get a hold of that? 
because it's not really it's not it's not available on our uh, the internet archive it's not no not yet no oh. it, it, they have a 78 version of you know, of uh, recordings you know that i got that but no the land of the lost the series is not up there i i went to the old time Max played a lot of them. Maybe if you contact Max. I don't know how can... to contact Max. Yeah, that's a good thing. Um, there's, there's no way Max to contact w... him. Huh? Max at WBAI.org or Max at YesterdayUSA.com. I don't know. You mean email? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I wish there was a number we could. And then another another thing. Does anyone know what's happening with the OTR catalog? They have been down or or not available for quite some time. Does anyone know what's happening with that? Are you thinking of the old-time radio researchers? No, no, the OTR cat. Oh. I think. I think they did. They close. Well, remember, I think the two husband and wife had a divorce. Right. Uh, yeah, but and, I don't know what happened after that. I've forgotten now. And I think the gal, the the wife was the the researcher of the two. Uh huh. And I think she was doing work on with Jerry and some other people. Um. Oh, that was the deli, wasn't it? I thought she was doing both, but maybe I'm was wrong. She? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I don't know um, what you mean by the deli. Um, but but yeah, I I I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if the company still is existence. Yeah, I'll I don't know that way. We yeah, should, we right could right. ask somebody. We could ask a few. Friends. This is otrcat.com. com. Otr cat, yeah. I yeah, no, I, I went I online. I buy from them, and uh, they haven't been. Oh, uh, I don't know about available. buying. I just went online to look at lists, and it was they were still up there. Yeah. Um, um, I think it's going to change because a lot of things are starting to fall in public domain. And I have a hunch a lot of dealers will be going out of business because they just won't be able to why put the money into it. So I, I that's just my gut hunch that will. Um, uh-huh. you, you'll, you'll start seeing a lot of these places close. Where, over yeah, where is public domain falling now? What year would that be now? Well, the the new brand new copyright law started. Uh, everything starts falls from nineteen forty six before or in public seven. domain. Yeah, starting uh, twenty twenty three this year, and then every year up to nineteen fifty six falls into public domain over the next ten years. Yeah, so that's that's all. Of, that's the mostly old radio. Mostly yeah, old almost radio, all of it. Yeah. Do you think that the OGR um, versions of, I mean, Land of the Lost uh, will come out? A researchers group will bring it out? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, if I it's not out already. It's, well, it's not. Or I'm back. I haven't been able to get a download on it. I've, I mean, I've, I've seen it in people's catalogs. It's It's not anything that just a few people have it's it's out so we just need to figure out how to get it yeah okay well if you if you find out anything let me know okay okay because you know so 
does this copyright also extend to books as well? It's, no. au it's audio recordings. It's, oh, okay. It's, right. it's dealing with audio recordings alone. Okay. Mm. Wish it was so. books too, because there's a lot of good science fiction in those. Oh in yeah. That section. Wow. Generally, cool. see books falls in a different realm. Yeah. Um. But it's the, the, the copy the, the copyright laws I'm speaking of is dealing with strictly audio recordings. Okay, still a lot of good records. Yes. Yeah. Forty five from different places. Do either of you know um, Walden or Larry? Do either of you know if there's a um, a Howard McNear interview? If he was ever interviewed, I have not found one yet. Um, what I need to do is go look on YouTube. There he was. He died in '69, right? Which is just a couple of years before a lot of people like John and I and Chuck Shaden and uh, Dick Bertel, who just passed away. It's just a few years before we started interviewing people. Now YouTube might have some things that he may have done with people on TV. Uh, I got to check. I'm not sure, but I don't know because you would think that. You know, by now we would have it, right? So, well, I, I don't know the answer. Did Pacific Pioneer interview him, like in a in, in a you know one on one historical conference? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah. See, I don't. I don't know that he was a member of PBB. Okay. Yeah. Because they started in '66. Uh, he very well may have been a guest at a lunch, and I don't know. Right. But so I've never I, heard I don't his know name when Mike started do those historical interviews with different members. Oh, sh shortly afterwards, I I could look and see if his name is on any list, an early list, because I have a lot of early lists. So that, I will check that out and see. But yeah, I, well, I, I <clears throat> a lot of people talked about him. I just don't know if there's anything specifically with him. But uh, well, why don't we look that up and see what we can find out? What about um? And you guys might have played her. I just missed her. What about Georgia Ellis? Is there any interviews with her? Just a few. Just a few. I guess she was really shy, right? That's my understanding. Yeah, she just didn't want to do it. She was shy. Now, she did one uh, that John Dunning did. She and Parley. She'd only do it if somebody was with her, like a Parley bear. Uh, and I, I thought that she might have done another one, and I'm, I've got to go back and look and see. But I, I know she, she might have done two, maybe. Yeah, because that would be cool to to hear her. You know, in an oh, interview. it would be. She was so wonderful. I love. Yeah, her. Georgia Ellis. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, we'll look that up. Carla Hayes. I just wanted to tell you, I'm joining. I want to hear KDKA. I have a lot of memories of that. Of KDKA. Yes, because I'm in the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. Oh, hello. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm Patty Nichol. I am from Pittsburgh. Yes, I know yes. you. Mm. So um, I, where did you get these? Because I'd, I'd be anxious to hear parts one, two, three, four. I have a, a CD of one um, thing that they did in 1982. They had a historical of history of KDKA. I got these from I got these from Larry, so I don't know where he there got them from. It was one they did in 1970. Yes, and that's I, the history of old time radio that they did. It was like a four or five CD set. Yeah, I I think I just got them from a friend who was a collector. Yes, I can't I remember that. now who. 
Yes, I don't Robin. know anything about 1982. What, what is yeah, that? Yeah, there was um, there, they had um, an anniversary on November second, mm -hmm. and they they broadcast a, a history of um, KDKA, and um, I I sent for a CD, and um, it was pretty good actually. Mm -hmm. I wonder if I can still get it from them. I don't know. Um, I. Would doubt it. Um, I would doubt it. They, 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 they wouldn't like, even know what you're talking about, probably. Yeah, probably they, not. No. To, uh, I don't know. They're they're a disaster lately. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, yeah. 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 <clears throat> people and I don't Carla. Yes, it's Joni. Hi, Joni. I know Patty and I. Hi, Patty and I listened to Ed and Wendy King. Right. Did you ever? Did you listen to them? Um. Sometimes, yes. Oh, yeah. Listen oh I, to them. I listen to them all the time. Yeah, yeah I, I listen to them frequently, I guess. It's been a and while. Then, and before they came on, John Stewart would usually have some kind of a, a documentary uh, about something or another. Do you recall that? I'm trying to think. What year would that have been? Uh, well, that would have been the early 60s. Well, I was... I was born in '59, so I. Oh, okay, okay. Before my, yeah, although I remember WRYT in Pittsburgh. Oh, I remember WRYT. That, that was one of my earliest memories. Mm. Being, uh, yeah, they used to play the Shadow at five thirty every Sunday night. Yeah, and they had beautiful music. They messed around with this music, beautiful music format with a harp. It was so mm. interesting. I remember that from being, that was one of my earliest memories. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, I you think... remember WEEP then when yep. it was a rock station yes, before I one do. country. Yep, I remember that. Yes, yes. I think uh, J. David and Golden. And of course, KQV yeah. was. Was yeah, it was a rocker until October the fifteenth, nineteen seventy-five. I stayed up late to hear the format change, and it was so absurd how they went off the air. It was so weird. yeah, it's it, and it's absurd how they're coming back on the air too. If you've noticed them, they're yeah. coming, they're on the air now, but they're doing beautiful music. Music, yes. And, uh, hang on, ladies. I think J. David Golden was a radio collector and an engineer, actually an engineer first, and he worked for yeah. WOR and and stations back east has this huge collection. And if you look at his catalog, I think he must have gotten a hold of KDKA's collection at some point because there are incredible amounts of material that were done from KDKA that nobody else seems to have. Oh, where's, where's his catalog? What's, how do we get that? It's, it's, if, if you go online and do a search for KDKA, all you have to do is, you know, yeah. uh, first of all, do one for J. David Golden, G-O-L-D-I-N. He has a catalog up there called the Gold Index, G-O-L-D-I-N-D-E-X. Mm -hmm. And if you do a search for KDKA, there's a ton of shows that he writes about that he must have gotten information about because he probably had copies of those shows that no one else seems to have. I see it over and over and over again. The Golden Index. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And uh, does, uh, does he make available any of these shows? 
Uh, I he's he's a private collector. He's put the the base the database online for for research purposes for people to actually see what what he has. But but he doesn't do really any trading with anybody at all anymore. But but at least it lets you know that the, this material is safe. Yeah. Yes, I, yeah. I was so fascinated about you know KDKA has a fascinating history. Mm-hmm. It certainly it does. Really does. It's and actually so does KQV when you think about uh, it. Certainly does. Yeah. Hi everybody. Sorry, Hi, I'm Marcia. Hi, Marcia. KQV started it's, in 1918 actually, but they was, didn't they didn't stay on the air uh, right. like. Until Those two stations are a little different in that they are their call letters start with a K and they're oh, yeah. east of the Mississippi. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There aren't that's that right. many of those stations that's around. Different. No, they're right. just two now, right? Oh, I don't know if there's more, Maybe but I know one. there's a minimum of two. There's KYW oh, there's and two. Philly. KYW, KYW. KYW. That's, that's right. exists. That's probably it. KQV. Uh, came back on the air. Yes. So. In the in, in just recently. Yes. Uh, 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 oh really? Yeah. Where are they located? Pittsburgh. And yes. the, oh. it's the same company that owned them. Oh. Different company. Oh, it's a different company. Uh. Oh. Did I hear KQV or different companies? Did I hear Carla? Yes. Yes. So well, hello. It's it's been oh. years since you've been here on Thursday nights. So no, you have to work or something. Yeah, I think she was here within the last couple of years. Oh, I think. okay. Well, anyway. Oh no, 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 it was the marathon. I was here for the marathon. Yeah. Thursday yeah. nights are usually hectic for me. That's is is Spar- is Sparky listening? Yes, he's listening. Oh. All right. <laughs> <That's good deal. laughs> you know, another thing I still haven't found was anywhere I can get any more Twilight Zone episodes. I was, I'm, I'm still looking for them. There's a lot of those around. Yeah, there are. And there's some talk that Carl was thinking about starting that up again. I don't know if that's going to oh, happen. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that that would be great. Now we we've should, got. Uh, we should couple... ask him. He's going to be on with us. What is it? Monday. I have to. I really oh, wait, what, to when, when's he going to be on? Is it Monday? Yeah, what I think Walden said Monday. Yeah, that's a long yeah it's this, this Monday night on he's Yesterday. He's not going to talk about this. On, on what? What's he going to be on? Things, right? he, well, he's going to be talking mostly, mostly about the Kickstarter campaign, but we'll ask questions about what When is he on? The web place? And it's yesterdayusa.com. It's going to be 10.30 Eastern, 7.30 Pacific. At night, 10.30. Right. Mm-hmm. But we'll record it as well in case something happens where, okay. you know, you're asleep. Because if it, it can happen to you, it can happen to me. Yeah, especially since I have to get up at 4.30 the next yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, wow. that doesn't stop me. <laughs> and but you don't feel forget, the next you day. guys have to set your clocks forward. Yes. Yes, this weekend. We we get an extra hour of sleep Saturday. That's right. Yeah, that's Sunday, right? Take it while you can. Hey Joni, that means that after Saturday I think then you'll you should be able to have a little easier time coming to my call on Sunday morning. Maybe. Yeah, I think I can. Oh, you're going to be two hours behind the second three. And Tom, that 
well, that won't make any difference with me, but I can always use that as, a, as an excuse. Sure you can. The same, oh, at the same okay. time. Oh, <laughs> and I always get so mixed up when the time changes for everybody else but us. But you guys. Yeah. Yeah. You you stay the same. You don't go anywhere. No, you stay you don't the same. Anywhere. No, we don't. But I always think I should set my clock nope, back you or forward or do something. Well, have to do anything. Do anything. That's why. Yeah, yeah, leave it alone. I'm yeah. hoping at some point that they're going to change all that and we won't have to change anymore. Well, I don't. Be careful what you wish for. When you really? get right. stuck, if you get stuck in daylight savings time, it won't get light until nine in the morning. That's yeah. about right. School kids. I, maybe not quite that late, but close to it. I it's remember you tried that one year in 74, and I remember what that was like. That was weird, man. <laughs> one of my kiddos almost got hit by a school bus at the school where I teach. One of the most Yeah, gardeners. you don't want to. You don't, you don't want that. In fact, if they do that, uh, I'm going to be upset. Well, I mean, well, I heard kind of, they could start school later, and that would be kind of nice, actually. They won't. There's too many. Uh, no. Out here in California, then, yeah, it'll probably get light. Hmm. Eight forty-seven. Stars, stars, stars. No, it's probably seven, seven, eight, seven, eight o'clock. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. That's, okay. That's fine. I don't mind getting stuck in daylight savings time. That'd be cool. It'll be. It will yeah. be. It'll be closer to nine here in Pennsylvania. A few minutes before nine. Wow. Well, yeah. There. Yeah. Wow. It'll be six o'clock here. Good morning. Um, it's about a minute. It too. is almost eight yeah, thirty Eastern, five thirty Pacific. So I'll go away. So yeah. no, I'll you don't have to go away. Yeah. Guys don't interrupt anymore. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to this, and I'm so good, glad. Good, good, good. Yeah, we're glad you came too. Daniel V. Hill is I our don't, guest. I played both parts. Oh yeah. Well, you got time. You, you know, she'll come. Well, no, the the thing of it was was they the first two the first four parts they said this is going to be the 20s and the 30s or whatever right and five and six then they started splitting it up into uh okay this part's um what's this one the first and the, the best and the worst dramas and then the next part is the serials and so then they split it up so i'm like well if i split this up then i can carry it on for that much longer also you know i think i'll tell you this real quickly and then we'll we'll stop but i think and i have to go back and look and see that i got this from Ed Potter, it was available for a brief while as a as something you could buy from Group W. I think that's true. Well, whatever it, it was, it was on record yeah, because they say it was, yes. flip sides, and you can also hear the record scratch. So that's yep. cool. Yep. Yeah, you could you if it was available. I think you could buy it from within the industry. I don't know that it was ever sold commercially. But if you were in the industry and worked in radio, then you could get it from Group W, Westinghouse. So, Daniel, does that mean that you're going to play all the parts every time you present? You're going to play. Yeah, unless for, unless for some reason, sometimes something else takes takes a hold of me and I have to mm -hmm. play something else. But, yeah, for the most part, I, I play this. We're on part five. I played the first four parts already. OK, cool. I missed right. them. Well, why don't well, we go back and listen? I missed um, them too. Somebody's going to mute everybody, and then well, we'll you want me to do that, Daniel? Or you get it? Okay. Okay. Hey right, guys, here we go. Hang on.
Hello, Thursday audience. Welcome to another evening of classic radio entertainment and me, Daniel V. Hill, in the Fred Bertelson Memorial Old Time Radio Room, a part of Radio Out of the Past. Dot org. It's November 2nd, 2023, and tonight we're going to continue our look at radio broadcasting history via KDKA. This is part five in the series, and it's called The Best and Worst Dramatic Shows. Following this will be an episode of Dragnet, The Big Impossible, Broadcast on March 15th, 1953. A fiery horse with a speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver. The Lone Ranger. November 1933, WXYZ, Detroit. That's when the famous line was uttered for the first time. You, only ranger left. You, Lone Ranger. And the rest is history. Early My name's Henry Morgan, and even though I never got to play a nice juicy role like Daddy Warbucks, I remember the radio dramatic shows very well. Actually, most of them were like comic strips. Lots of slam-bang action and corny dialogue. And you couldn't say they had anything as subtle as characterization. But they were fun. And you certainly didn't feel the lack of pictures. Because dialogue and sound effects made it all terribly, painfully clear. Picture this getaway scene. Here's one. Inside the mining office, the young claim jumper and his Indian companion make no effort to conceal their terror. Buff! Buff, let me in! Buff! Hurry, Buff! Open the door, Pop. I want to talk to you. you gotta work fast. Open this door, Pop, or I'll shoot the lock off. There, now clear out, Mohawk. Huh? Buff, open this door! Don't kill me, please, mister! Mohawk and Buff are gonna kill me! You two are covered, so don't try a fast move. Well, mister, you've got everything under control. They were gonna kill me! Toby! And who would have thought that silver would turn out to be just a set of plungers or four coconut shells or four hands galloping across a hollow box? Writing good radio drama was a craft that had to be learned, of course. Carol Carroll, who was one of radio's wittiest writers, he wrote for Hope and Crosby for years, remembers the beginning. Early radio writing was had a tendency to say, you look beautiful in that green chair with that yellow hair and your, uh, flowing down your neck and your beautiful blue eyes flashing. Everybody in the radio business from about 1930 or 31 until maybe just before the war started, was a sort of, sort of you know, on sort of a 
job training program. It was earn while you work or earn while you learn. The trick of radio writing, particularly in drama, was to get across the facts that needed to be known either through sound effects or through some circumlocution so that the person would know what was going on. I remember once uh, Thompson did a show called Roses and Drums. We received a script that said four horses gallop up, three, th three men get off, I guess it said. Sound man said, I can give you the three horses, but how do I do, <laughs> how do I get the point across that only three of the men got off? Why don't you have one of the horses turn around and say, aren't you getting off too? <laughs> Open the door, Mike. Okay, all clear. Go on. Easy. Easy. Get behind the wheel, Jimmy. Yeah, okay. Go on, quick. Come on, come on, close the door. Yeah. Okay, go. I mentioned calling all cars this crime series I did, which, by the way, predated gangbusters. Sitting alone, listening to these things, I, I blushed. They were dreadful. They were dreadful. This is Bill Robeson, who would become one of CBS's top writer-directors before the 30s ended. The characterization was that the policeman had an Irish accent. Just a punch and Judy, Commedia dell'arte. Well, I can only come to this conclusion that we were younger then. I was younger. And this was life as I saw it at the age of 28. But the audience was younger. The audience was only sophisticated to that point. Do you need dialogue to explain this one? Top Speed Rinso with its marvelous new suds booster that licks hard water and gives much richer suds in soft water too. Rinso brings you Edward G. Robinson in an exciting story from Big Town. A story of life and death on the highways of America. Well, the sound effect setups on shows were really very complex depending on the show. On a show like Gangbusters, I remember there were at least two, usually three, sound effects men with full record consoles plus manual effects, and they were busy all the time. They, they planned very carefully as to who would take which part of which effect at one time. They worked together as teams, and they worked with the director. This is Bob Dryden, who played an incredible assortment of character roles, from kindly friends to cold killers. You could do that on radio. There were also people who did uh, vocal sound effects. Uh, I remember there was a woman whose whole career in radio was spent in doing the voices of infants and babies. 
and she was a fully grown woman. <laughs> there was a man who was well known as a character by everybody in radio in those days. He was a very small elderly man. His name was Donald Bain. Donald Bain did the most extraordinary cat fight. He played, he could play two or three cats at the same time. And he's known also for asking when he was called on to play a parrot to ask uh, what sex they wanted. He, he was hired to play a mosquito on a big Columbia CBS series called The Man Behind the Gun. And they were doing a trilogy on Guadalcanal. Donald did the mosquito uh, sort of in this way. Um, he played a death scene. It was like an Italian gangster picture when the guy gets shot in the gut and tries to keep talking afterwards, you know. Because uh, he just had his moment of glory as that mosquito and he wanted to prolong it and make it as dramatic as possible. He and Bradley Barker were two men who could only have existed really in radio. Uh, Barker, on the other hand, was a very elegant man. Uh, the first time I came into contact with him, he picked up a script and he started slowly to walk around the room, running through the script, and uh, all of a sudden he went, and I thought he was going crazy. And he kept doing this two or three times, and I only later found out that he was Bradley Barker, who did the wolf on Renfrew of the Mounted, and uh, he was warming up his pipes. Ah, uh, you know, Freddy, you're a very interesting playmate. Oh, you're a little rough once in a while, but when you figure it out, you're quite like a human. Ah, uh, we've been friends for a long time, eh, Freddy? Lurking in the background is Lamont Cranston, endowed with a mysterious power to cloud men's minds. Gorilla's minds, too, no doubt. The finest specimen in captivity. <laughs> Why, when you came here... I'll tell you one interesting sound effect. Do you remember Buck Rogers in the 25th century? That was Paul Douglas, and he read it into an open piano, an old grand piano with the lid raised, and that's where they got that peculiar hollow effect. It was awful funny to watch, particularly if you had heard the show a number of times and had no idea, or nor did you care, it just sounded great and impressive. But when you went into the studio and saw him stick his head in the piano, a lot of the impressiveness went with it. The next number on our Recollections of Radio is the most famous sound effect ever broadcast. No, 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 no. Not that door. That's the whole closet. No, no, no. Ah, yes. You waited for that one every Tuesday night. Of course, there were dramatic shows with more ambition than mere excitement. Let's at least nod in the direction of the Columbia Workshop and the Mercury Theater, and the wartime show The Man Behind the Gun, and Sorry, Wrong Number, in which Agnes Moorhead played a bedridden wife who learns of her husband's murder plans over the phone. It's a tour de force of radio acting. 
This is the chief operator. Chief operator, I want you to trace a call, a, a telephone call immediately. I, I, I don't know where it came from or who was making it, but it, it's absolutely necessary that it be tracked down because it was about a murder that someone's planning, a, a terrible cold-blooded murder of a poor innocent woman tonight at 11.15. I see. Now, can you trace it for me? Can you track down those men? May I have your name, please? Uh, Mrs. Stevenson, uh, Mrs. Albert Stevenson. But listen, And uh, your telephone number, please. Plaza 32098. But if, if you go on wasting all this time... Why do you want this call traced, please? Why? Oh, uh, no reason. I mean, I, I merely felt very strongly that something ought to be done about it. These men sounded like killers. They're dangerous. They're going to murder this woman at 11.15 tonight, and I thought the police ought to know. Have you reported this to the police? Well, no, no. They also I recall a few rather so. grandiose theatrical shows like the Armstrong Theater of the Air and First Nighter and the Woodbury Playhouse. Remember the DuPont Cavalcade of America? DuPont Cavalcade of America, starring Leo G. Carroll. Good evening. This is Leo G. Carroll. When a great man such as Robert E. Lee emerges during times of stress, people love to tell of his words and deeds, even sing of them in their folk songs. Tonight in our cavalcade drama, you'll hear all these. The words, the deeds, and the song. I hear they've been talking surrender in that red house over yonder with General Grant. Say, Harry, how do you spell out Appomattox? Gee, I don't know, Britt. I said they're talking surrender. Didn't you two hear me? Well, sure we heard you, George. But we disbelieve you. On your feet, boys. The general's coming up the hill. Oh, yes, sir. I wonder what happened. It's General Lee. He's all by himself, riding traveler. Come to attention. Yes, sir. Yeah, something's wrong. Look at his face. He couldn't have done it. Men, we have fought the war together. I've done my best for you, as you have for me. You must go back to your home. Don't say it, General. Well, we'll fight them yet, sir. I'll organize all these men, sir. We'll go on fighting. My boys, no one of you is defeated. But now you must go back to your homes as I go to mine. Goodbye, boys. I think radio kind of surpassed itself in mystery and spook shows, like Suspense and Inner Sanctum, which was inspired, I believe, by a squeaky prop door at NBC and Arch Obler's Lights Out, which had the most fantastic atmospheric sound effects ever cooked up for radio. On those shows, everything squeaked. Doors, floorboards, coffin covers, you name it. I remember a wonderfully spooky little show on WOR. It never made the big time. The Witch's Tale. And now, let us join old Nancy and Satan, the wise black cat. <laughs> a mountain fifteen-year-old I be today. Yes, sir, a mountain fifteen-year-old. Well, Satan, yeah. oh, it's kind of a nice, cheerful little bedtime story we tell these folks tonight. Yeah. What say? Yeah. A Scotch story. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Satan. If it'll help you to economize on milk, fish heads, and catnip tea to hear a Scotch story, 
Oh, Nancy will be happy at her bridge. And what's more, she's going to tell you one that's absolutely true. Yes, sir. The main point... Producing a radio show with actors, sound effects, and a live orchestra over network radio was pretty exciting stuff. If anything went wrong, 50 million people heard it. Nowadays, it's hard to imagine this, but most of the big shows were done twice. Once for the East Coast and once for the West Coast. And if the show came from Chicago, it had to be done three times. It was a mixed blessing, believe me. This is High Brown, who takes pride in never having had an office because he never had a chance to sit down. The whole business of rebroadcasts was a very, very serious thing until we got tapes, because the federal communications people insisted that we say this is an electrical transcription and somehow the clients didn't like that stigma it made them feel that they're giving uh, uh, you know second-rate citizenship to the west coast let's say so we always had to do the show live many things happened actors sometimes failed to show up or they got off to some house or some party and didn't come back but then that was the time that I always began to act because if an actor didn't show up I could step into the breach anything but female roles that didn't happen often uh, the actors we had in those days were such reliable such hard-working such wonderful people that this was their bread and butter and they, they were there, and they rehearsed, and they did their best. Here's another. Before the Duke could reach for his holster, the G-men burst out of the broom closet. Get out of my way! Come here, you! Let me go! Watch your mouth, man! Come here, Duke! Grab me! Uh, hold still! Watch those stairs! Grab me! Uh, Let me go! Hold still! You lousy oh. Hayden. Oh, oh, oh. You wanted it this way. Uh, uh. You all right, Dan? Yeah, I'm all right, considering. How's he? I don't know, Johnny. I'll ask him when he wakes up. There were a number of shows that I was part of that went on the air absolutely cold without any rehearsal at all. And in one instance, I can think it's because the director and a lot of the cast liked to play liar poker. This was a game with dollar bills. And there were many times when we'd play liar poker right up to the system queue. Bob Dryden. The live repeat had its compensations. I mean, people would rebel and... But that's when a lot of the social life happened. Uh, a lot of getting together. People just spent the evening uh, playing poker, uh, having good dinners in some of the more nostalgic radio hangouts. People who stayed in town and got hotel rooms and asked the hotel clerk to wake them up like 11 o'clock and the gal thought it would be the next morning and sometimes she, <laughs> the second cast had to be hastily <laughs> arranged so that somebody had to step in. Fran Carlin, who starred in Big Town as Lorelei Kilburn, Steve Wilson's girlfriend. We went from show to show playing all kinds of parts. I would be the heavy for a run, let's say, of 13 weeks on Backstage Wife or Stella Dallas. I played everything from gangster malls to old Irish landladies, whatever it, the script called for. Of course it was grand for the actors. If you had a big voice, you were a big man, and stature had nothing to do with it. Or if you happened to be extremely pregnant, you could still play Joan of Arc. I remember on Showboat, I remember getting uh, 
pages, written pages, handwritten pages, as we were on the air and being handed them. Here's another versatile, Santos Ortega, who for many years played Nero Wolfe. I was the, uh, the originator of Nero Wolfe on radio, but I had borrowed from Sidney Greenstreet, wonderful actor, and he had a way of chuckling and laughing and wheezing and talking through it and so on, you know. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> and, and, and of course, it, it became a very, very fat thing. And of course, a heavy with humor is, is just about the best part you can get. I was on uh, a series that started in Chicago, Merton Marge. Uh, they, I think, were about the time of Amos and Andy and so on, very successful. And I played opposite uh, Marge. I played Jack Arnold, and then I was shot. I was murdered. Then I remember coming back and testifying as an Irish doorman as to how I got killed. I remember doing one program at NBC and another program at uh, CBS, the same 15 minutes and both live. Well, this was not a choice of mine. Early in the morning, I found out just where I was in either script, and it so turned out that the commercial that I was on CBS was in the early part of the script, and I had about seven or eight minutes to get to NBC from 485 Madison Avenue over to, uh, uh, over to NBC from CBS. And so I made it, made it in time. But I had an elevator waiting and a cab waiting and so on. We take you now to Hollywood. Back in the 30s and 40s and into the 50s, Hollywood was second only to New York in radio production. Crosby, Hope, Jolson, Bergen, Fibber McGee, Valley, and lovelies like Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper all did their shows from the coast. Also, there was a vogue for dramatized movies with big stars in their original roles. I suppose the show of the mostest for glamour and big names was the Lux Radio Theater with its famous director. After the show, the stars would have a spontaneous chat with CB. One of the writers and adapters was Carol Carroll, they moved the show to Hollywood, and C.B. DeMille became the master of ceremonies. Uh, he became the producer, so-called. And Mr. DeMille used to come in for dress rehearsal, complete with puttees and cap and all the accoutrements of a, of a Hollywood director and read the script that was handed to him. It was a... Uh, prestige show for for film stars and the studios were very eager to get their personnel their stars their personnel on this show because at the end of the show while they might not be doing a film which they were in they always had an interview at the end with cb in which he said what are you doing and they graciously told him everything they were doing including their laundry in case you want some color on the kind of movie adaptations we did and what went on when the song of Bernadette was hot and we wanted to get the rights to do it, we asked the client 
for permission. And there was a lot of backing and filling and wasting of time on getting permission. They didn't seem to want to. And finally, reluctantly, they gave us permission to do the Song of Bernadette if we took out the religious angle. The curtain falls on my son, my son. Brianna Hearn, Madeline Carroll, Lewis Hayward, and Josephine Hutchinson are returning to the microphone. Thank you for all four of us, Mr. DeMille. I always enjoy appearing in the Lux Radio Theater, and I think women everywhere are grateful for the product behind it, Lux Soap. It's a grand complexion care. I know that from my own experience because I've used it for years. I'm another Lux fan, Mr. DeMille. The thing I like about Lux Soap is that it has such a gentle way of caring for your skin. Mr. DeMille, it's up to you to, both to, to bow to both ladies at once. <laughs> and after the bow, you can tell us about next week's play. <laughs> I think we'll take a bow on next week's play, too, Roy. Uh, a week from tonight, we're going to do The Rains Came. Oh, that's one of my favorite stories, Mr. DeMille. Who's going to play in it? We'll have George Brent from the original cast of the 20th Century Fox picture, and Kay Francis, Gene Parker, and Jim Amici. It's a stormy, turbulent drama in both action and emotion. With Kay Francis, George Brent, Jim Amici, and Gene Parker fighting a catastrophe on the edge of civilization. Well, with that cast in play, you'll have a sure-fire hit, C.B. <laughs> Good night. Good night. Good night. I'll see you on the set tomorrow, Mr. DeMille. <laughs> Good night. As critics, we'll give This is Henry Morgan. I'll be back on the next side with a few insights into serial programs, some for mom and some for kids. Don't miss the next thrilling episode on Side 6. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned a robbery detail. A holdup man has been hitting large supermarkets in your city. He's fast and he's experienced. Your job? Get him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case transcribed from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, July 7th. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. We were on the way out from the office, and it was 10.22 a.m. when we got to the corner of 67th Street and Jefferson Boulevard, Lamont Brothers Market. Oh, I guess I should have been scared the way they came in with those guns, but I wasn't. I one came back into the office and said he wanted the money. I gave it to him. I wasn't going to mess with him. Mr. Haskins? Yes, I'm Haskins. Who are you? Police officer, sir. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. Friday and Smith. Oh, oh yeah. You the fellows that was talking about, huh? Sir? Well, the other ones, the cops in the car. They said there'd be a couple of detectives here. Have you seen the other cops yet? Yes, sir. We talked to them. They've already put out a call. I wonder if we get some information from you. Sure. You want to come back here to the office? Yes, sir. Back this way. We can talk there. 
Yes, sit down. Mr. Haskins, if you'd just tell us what happened, please. Well, it's pretty simple. I was sitting here getting the money ready for the bank, and this guy came in. He said he wanted the money. Had a gun, so I gave it to him. I said, not anymore. He just took the money and left. Mm-hmm. What time was it, sir? Oh, around 8.30, quarter to nine. How many men were there, sir? Well, there was two. Two is all I saw. I, I don't think there was any more of them. All right, sir, if you could just tell us exactly what happened. Well, I told you they came in, they took the money. I know, sir, but if you'd go into more detail. Well, I came in about 7.30 this morning, like always, checked things over the store to make sure that everything was okay. Then I started checking out the week's receipts. Uh-huh. Well, then, like I said, it must have been 8.45 or so, and heard this knock on the door. Thought there must be something wrong. The employees know not to bother me when I'm making up the deposit slips. Yes, sir. That's when I knew that something was wrong. Right away, I said to myself, Larry, there's something up. Something isn't good. Yes, sir. Well, it was right. Went over to the door and unlocked it. There he was, this big fellow. Stood there with a gun. The way his eyes lit up when he saw all that money laying on the desk. You got any idea of how much money was taken, sir? Well, it was about 6000 cash. I guess another 1500 checks, more or less. Uh-huh. I wonder if you'd give us a description of this man, could you? Well, like I said, he was a... Big one, real mountain of a man, well over six feet, had this gun, you know. Uh-huh. He stood there and said, this is a stick-up. I want that money. And he pointed at the money with his gun. Oh, what kind of a gun was it? Could you tell? That's a great question. Of course I could tell. He had right under my nose. Shotgun, sawed off. Had the stock cut down, too. Looked like a horse pistol. Well, he handles that thing. I wasn't going to mess with him. Uh-huh. I told him, take the money. Take it and get out. Not to shoot that thing off. He did. Walked right over the desk and scooped up the money. He had a paper bag. He put it down by the table and he scooped the money into it. Then he said to me to stay put. Not to try to yell or be brave. Didn't have to tell me that. I wouldn't have tried anything. He said that there was another man, is that right? Yes, I, I saw him when he left. He was a little fellow. Mm-hmm. About how tall, would you say? Well, it'd be kind of hard to tell. I didn't get very close to him. Well, was he armed too? Yeah, he was carrying a revolver. They drive a car, would you know? Well, if they did, I didn't see it. You went out after them, then? I should say not. With that one fellow waved that gun around, I stayed right here. He said to stay put, and that's just what I did. What did this big man look like? Oh, a real mountain. He was 6'2", anyway. He must have weighed, weighed in at about 215. Mm-hmm. How about his coloring? It was dark. He had black hair. His eyes were dark. Not not a brown. It was almost black. Real, real dark. Mm-hmm. And when he spoke, did he have an accent, anything like that that you might have noticed? No. No, I don't think so. At least there was one. I didn't notice it. Mm-mm. Did you have any scars or marks? What? Any scars or marks? Anything that might make it easier for us to identify him? Yes, yes, there was a little scar right right here. Right over the bridge of his nose. Across here. How about his clothes? What was he wearing? Had a brown hat on, a brown jacket. Short kind. Kind of what you'd call that uh, real slick material, you know. Satin, like uh, bowling teams wear. Yes, sir. I had a pair of brown pants, brown shoes. How was the other one dressed? I couldn't tell you for sure. Like I said, I only saw him for a minute when I opened the door. He was out there telling the people to just mind their own business. Do that and they wouldn't get hurt. I didn't get a good look at him, but that big one, he was a real mountain. Do you usually have this much money around in the store? No, not usually. See, this was a long weekend. You know, the 4th was Friday, and whenever we have a long weekend, we usually have ten or $12,000 in cash here. That's uh, where the guys really goofed. Sir? Really missed the boat. You know, if they'd known what they were doing, they'd have gotten a lot more. Well, how's that, sir? The safe out in front. Another $7,000 out there. Guys missed it completely. Yes, sir. Yeah, I sure hope they 
they don't come back for it. Eleven oh five a.m. Frank and I checked with the officers in the radio unit that had answered the call. They'd gotten out a broadcast on the bandits and then started the canvas of the neighborhood, but they didn't find anyone who could give them any information. One of the clerks was able to describe the smaller of the two suspects, and we got out a local and an APB on them, and we took the market manager downtown to look at the mug books. He told us that the larger man had worn gloves all the time he was in the store, so there was no need to look for fingerprints. The market bandits had been operating for the past eight months. In that time, they'd held up 17 stores. Their method of operation was always the same. They'd hit only after a weekend or on the Monday following a holiday weekend. They'd hit only the larger supermarkets of the ranch type. Their operations had taken them all over the Southland. We'd tried to stake the markets that might be hit, but their field of operations had been so wide that it was impossible. 2.15 p.m., the market manager, Larry Haskins, started on the sixth mug book. Sure, a lot of them. Yes, sir. All these fellas all committed some crime, huh? Yes, sir, that's right. That one there looks like my brother-in-law, who's got a weak chin. Uh-huh, yeah, just like him. No. Mm-mm. Go through a few of these, and they all begin to look alike. Did you ever notice that? Yes, sir. Hey, wait a minute. Yes, sir. This fellow here. This one right here, you see? Mm-hmm. That's the fellow, no doubt about it. That's the one. market manager had identified Bernard R. Hansen as one of the hold-up men. The other employees of the store were called in, and they identified the same picture as being the man who'd held them up. We checked on his record and found that he'd been convicted for armed robbery and had been sentenced to the state penitentiary. He'd also served six and a half years and had been released. We got the last known address of the suspect. Frank and I checked it out and found that Hansen had moved some months before, but had left a phone number where he might be contacted. 6.30 p.m. Frank put in the call. Yes, sir. That's right, sir. You sure about that, are you? I see. Well, if there's anything more you can think of, I'd appreciate a call. That's right, Michigan 5211. Extension 2511. Smith, that's right. Or if I'm not in, ask for Joe Friday. No, sir, Friday, like the day in the week. That's right. All right, thank you very much, Doctor. Goodbye. Anything? Yeah, I talked to Dr. Corby. The place is a rest home. Hanson's there as a patient. Been there for the past four months. Yeah. Doctor says he's bedridden. We checked on the rest home. It was a private sanitarium in the valley. We got in touch with the medical authorities and found that the head of the hospital was listed as Dr. James Corby. Frank and I drove out and talked to Dr. Corby and the rest of the staff. From them, we got the story that Hanson had been a resident of the home for the past four months. We found that he had a lung ailment and was confined to his bed 24 hours a day. The doctor showed us his records and charts. And from what we could tell, it would have been impossible for Hanson to have been the bandit. Three weeks passed. On August 4th, the market thieves hit again, this time out in East Los Angeles. They got away with a little over $9,000. The manager of the market came downtown and checked the mug books. They again identified Hanson as the thief. We had the stats office make another run on the M.O. used. The result came back, and out of the thousands of cards checked, only one fitted the way the robbery had been carried out. Hanson's. We called the rest home and found that on the day of the holdup, the suspect hadn't left his bed. Another month passed. During that time, we ran down all leads. Informants were questioned, but they could tell us nothing. Apparently, the holdup men were hitting and then dropping completely out of sight until they hit again. 
Monday, October 27th, 8.05 a.m. I checked in for work. Joe? Yeah. Did you just get in? Yeah, a couple of minutes ago. Sure is a beautiful day, isn't it? Yeah. Did you see Didion yet? No. Well, he talked yesterday. I don't want to. Well, he's pretty hacked. I can't blame him too much. The guy sure seemed to have a stop. The thing I can't understand is that everybody's positive it's Hanson. Doesn't seem to be any doubt in their minds. That doesn't make any sense. Did you get the kickback on the doctor? Yeah, I came in late yesterday. How about it? I well, can't find anything on him. Family man, lives out in the valley, a couple of blocks from the hospital. Checked his bank account, he does pretty well, not great, no big deposits lately. Mm-hmm. Did you check the AMA on him? Yeah, he's not a member. I haven't got anything on him. How about the rest of the staff out there? Well, seems to be okay. Two of the nurses have been there for over two years, and the male nurse was hired about five months ago. That'd be just before Hanson got there. Yeah. Well, what's his record? There isn't any. Not a thing on him in the files, nothing from Washington. Well, I don't know. It seemed to come up out of the ground, pull the jobs, and then drop back in. Nothing on the partner? No, thought I had something. Talked to an informant this morning while I had coffee. He thought at first that he knew who the little guy was, but then he remembered that the fellow he was thinking about died two years ago. A hot shot, I get it. Let's go. I hit again. At 8.01 a.m. that morning, a pair of hold-up men had walked into a market out on Adams Boulevard and robbed the place of a little under $11,000. The manager gave us a description of the hold-up men. One was large, dark, and had a small scar over the bridge of his nose. The other was small, sandy-haired, and had no visible marks or scars. We showed the manager mugshots of Hanson. He positively identified him as the larger of the two men. A local and an APB was gotten out on the pair, and then Frank and I drove out to the hospital to see Hanson. 8.46 a.m. We talked with Dr. Corby. I know you men are trying to do your duty, but I've told you before, it couldn't possibly be Mr. Hanson. I know for a fact that he hasn't been out of his bed this morning. Was it possible for him to get out of his room without you knowing it? No. I wonder if we could see him, Doctor. No, I don't think that'd be possible. He's still asleep and I can't have him disturbed. Now, you're sure, though, that he couldn't have left the hospital without you knowing it? Absolutely. No chance of it. What time does Hanson generally wake up, Doctor? Depends. Usually, though, I'd say he's awake by 9.30 or so. I wonder if we could wait and talk to him. If you like. I'll tell one of the nurses to call you when he's awake. All right, sir. That'd be fine. One thing, though, I must insist on. What's that, Doctor? He mustn't be excited. I don't think you gentlemen really know how ill Mr. Hanson is. If you had any idea, you wouldn't be out here with this ridiculous questioning. Yes, sir, we understand. We're just trying to get this thing straightened out as soon as we can. Fine. I'll go along with you part of the way, but I'll not have my patient disturbed. Any excitement would be very bad for him. Well, don't worry, Doctor. We'll be as brief as possible. Fine. If you'll excuse me now, I've got some things to do. I'll tell the nurse to call you when he wakes up. And remember, no excitement. What do you figure, Joe? It's got me. The way he talks, every one of those witnesses are wrong. Yeah, it's happened before. Get a positive identification and end up with the wrong guy. Yeah, but all of them are so positive, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You the police officer? Yeah, that's right. Why? I'm Bob Jameson. I work here. Oh, yeah, you're the male nurse, that right? Yeah. You're out here about Barney Hanson, aren't you? We want to see him, yeah. What can we do for you? It's about Barney. What about him? I don't think things are the way they look. What do you mean by that? I wouldn't want the doctor to know I've been talking to you. He'd raise the roof, probably fire me. Well, what's it about, Jameson? Like I said, it's about Barney. Yeah. Well, when I came here, they told me that Barney was pretty sick. Said they didn't expect him to live. Yeah. One day the buzzer rang in his room. You know, he wanted something? Uh-huh. Well, the doctor was on the phone. The other nurses were busy. So I started down the hall to see what Barney wanted. Got to the door of the room, and the doctor stopped me. Uh-huh. Really read me off. Said that I wasn't to go into the room at all. That he was taking care of Barney personally. That he'd see what he wanted. Yeah. No, that was just the first time. Same things happened a couple more times. And he told us about you. 
Told us what to say if you asked any questions. Well, what did he tell you? Said that we wasn't to tell you anything. That we didn't know anything. Well, why didn't you tell us all this before? Well, you see, this isn't a regular hospital. I don't think that he's even a regular doctor. I worked around hospitals for a long time, and I never saw no doctor act like he does. He doesn't even know how to write out a diet, feed some of the people here all the wrong things. That right? Yeah, and I'll tell you something else, too. What's that? I don't think there's anything wrong with Barney. I think the whole reason for him being here is phony. Bob? Oh, yes, doctor. What are you doing here? Came to see if these gentlemen needed anything. Oh. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll take care of it now. Will you check on Mr. Hardy, please? See if he's awake yet. Yeah, sure. Just a minute. What? I'd like you to stay here for a minute. I'm afraid we're going to have to see Mr. Hanson right now, Doctor. I'm afraid that's impossible. I told you before, I'm not going to have him disturbed. I'm afraid we're going to have to disturb him. Won't take very long. Jameson, where's his room? I'll show you. It's down this way. I'm going to speak to your superiors about this, coming into a hospital and disturbing patients. I'm sure the fact that your officers doesn't give you the right to do this. Now, this is his room. You want to open the door? Well, how about it, Doctor? Well, I don't understand it. He's got to be here. He can't get out of bed. I'm sure there's some explanation for his disappearance. Yeah, maybe you can explain this, too. There's stuff here in his bed. What is it, John? A gun and some money. You are listening to Dragnet, the authentic story of your police force in action. a.m. We called the office and two more teams of men came out to help us search the place. Hanson was not on the grounds of the hospital. In his room, we found several floor plan drawings of markets that had been robbed. The drawings showed the location of the manager's office and of the safe. Along with the drawings, we found several maps with roads marked on them leading back to the hospital. A stakeout was placed on the rest home in the event that the suspect returned and Frank and I drove the doctor back downtown. We talked to him for an hour before he finally told us the story. He said that Hanson had come to him and offered him money to say that he was ill and to give him a room. The doctor went on to say that after he got started, he tried to get out of the deal, but that Hanson said he'd get his family if the doctor said anything about his activities to the police. Dr. Corby gave us the name of Hanson's accomplice, Marty Peterson. He said that he didn't know where Peterson lived, but that he usually came out a couple of times a week to see Hanson. We notified the stakeout to be on the lookout for Peterson, and then we booked Dr. Corby at the main jail. We ran the name Marty Peterson through R&I, but we got no make. We sent the name to George Brereton up at CII in Sacramento and also to Washington. The kickback gave Peterson a record of two arrests of robbery and one for ADW in the East. It also gave the name of a sister who lived in Los Angeles. We checked with her and she was able to tell us where Peterson lived. Thursday, October 30th, Frank and I drove out to his apartment. Who is it? The manager. Yeah, what is it? You Marty Peterson? Yeah, what do you want? Police officers, you're under arrest. Come on, cop! Come get out of here, you lousy fun! All right, come on, get up. You got no right to come in here and bother me. What's all this about? Want to shake him? Yeah, come on, get your hands up on that wall. He's carrying a gun, Joe, here. I got it. What are you guys trying to prove? I didn't do nothing. 
You guys lean on everybody like this. Fellow's got a record, and right away he's fair game for every crummy cop in the country. Yeah, you bet. Come on, let's go. Well, you still haven't told me what this is all about. What are you putting the pinch on me for? Robbery. Robbery? You're off your rocker. I'm out here on a vacation. I haven't done anything. You're an ex-con with a gun. That's a felony. And where's Barney Hanson? Who? Barney Hanson. Where is he? I don't know no Barney Hanson. Don't know what you're talking about. All right, let's come off it, Peterson. Now, where is he? Barney Hanson? And I might know what you're talking about. I know a fellow by that name, but he's out in the hospital in the valley. Haven't seen him for a long time in a hospital out in the valley. Nice try, Peterson. Hanson checked out of the hospital. We got the doctor. He told us all about it. Now, where's Hanson? I don't know. Last I heard of him, he's out at that hospital. If he ain't there now, I don't know where he is. All right, let's go downtown. That doctor copped out, huh? Yeah. Filled us in on the whole setup. How about the money? Hmm? You find the money? No, we didn't find anything. You didn't find any dough at all? Not a bit. Crumb, the lousy crumb. He told me to be safe out there. That never shake a hospital. Not a dime, huh? No. Looks like he left you to stand for this. He probably took off with all the money. Probably never see him again. Yeah, we ain't gonna get away with it. No, sir, he ain't. Looks like he will. Oh, yeah, I'll tell you where he is. We took Marty Hansen down to the city hall, and he was booked at the main jail. Before he was booked, he gave us the name and address of Hansen's girlfriend. Frank and I drove over and talked to her. She told us that she hadn't seen the suspect for several weeks. She said that she'd heard that Hanson had been running around with another girl. She also told us that she'd heard Hanson had bought a new car and was running around with a new bunch of friends. She said that she hadn't seen him since he got the new car, but that she'd heard it was a new Oldsmobile and it was painted a fire engine red. We called the office and arranged for a stakeout in her apartment, and then we began to check out the Oldsmobile dealers in the Los Angeles area. Two teams of men were assigned to help us in running down the list. It took us two days to talk to the dealers in town. Each of the dealers was shown a mugshot of Hanson. Two days went by. Finally, we got an identification. A dealer out on Franklin in Hollywood reported that he'd sold a car to Hanson. However, when we checked the address he gave us, we found that Hanson had moved a week before and left no forwarding address. We got in touch with the Department of Motor Vehicles, and from them, we got the address where they'd sent the pink slip. It was an apartment house out on Highland Avenue. Frank and I went out to check it out. Yes? Bernard Hansen in? No, he isn't. Something you wanted? You're expecting him? I don't know. I haven't seen him this morning. I just got here myself. What if we could talk to you? Who are you? Police officers. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How do you do? I'm Lily Edwards. Come on in. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Get you anything? Cup of coffee? Anything? No, no thanks. When'd you last see Hansen? Last night. We got a date at 2.30 this afternoon. What time is it now? Well, it's 2.37, ma'am. Late. He'll be along in a minute. What do you want to see him about? Done something? Better if we could talk to him. Personal, huh? Yes, ma'am. He's a wild one, old Barney. Him and that red car. Real wild. Ma'am? That car he drives. You know, it's a red Olds. He's like a kid with it. Always wiping it off, taking care of it. I think he'd bring it up here at night if he could. Never seen anything like it. Mm-hmm. How long you known Hanson, Miss Edwards? Not long. A couple of weeks, I guess. Not much more than that. Where'd you meet him? Well, I hope you won't get the wrong idea, but... Ma'am? Well, I live down on Vine Street, below Fountain, you know? Yeah. Well, I usually have morning coffee at the drugstore, the big one on Vine. Well, one morning Barney comes in. I guess it's about nine, somewhere around there. He plunks down on a stool next to mine. Then he takes out a package of cigarettes and starts to light one. He's shaking so much he can hardly hold the match up to the cigarette. Well, I got to laughing because I thought he was hungover. Anyways, we got to talking, and the next thing I knew, he asked me out to lunch. Uh-huh. Well, I knew it wasn't proper, but I figured, well, he seemed like a nice guy, so I told him that I'd meet him. We had lunch that day, and we started been going together since. I see. Hanson never told you what he did for a living? 
No. I asked him a couple of times, but he wouldn't say anything right to the point. He, you know, kind of hedged around the bush. So I figured that he didn't want to tell me, and I stopped asking. He was always nice to me. No need for me to pry into his personal affairs. What time you got now? It's 2.40, ma'am. Can't understand it. He's usually so prompt. I hope nothing happened to him. He said sure to meet him at 2.30. Or was it 3.30? I don't remember too well. Never sure about times or dates, things like that, you know. Yes, ma'am. You ever met a man named Peterson, Marty Peterson? Marty Peterson? Yeah, I've met him, little guy. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, he's a friend of Barney's. They're in some sort of business together. I don't know just what it is, but I know that they're associated in some way. Hanson's never said anything about this business to you, has he? No. Like I said, he's very close-mouthed about what he does. You ever mention a Dr. Corby to you? Corby. No, I don't think I've ever heard that name before. Would you know how long Hanson's lived here? No, I think he moved in just before I met him. I don't think he's been here very long. Say, what are all these questions about? I hope I haven't said anything to get Barney in trouble. He's such a nice guy. I sure wouldn't want to do that. No, ma'am, you haven't done that. Hi, Lily. Who are you? What are you doing here? Police officers. You're under arrest, Hanson. For what? Suspicion of robbery. I'll shake him, Joe. Now, wait a minute. What is this, a shakedown? What are you guys trying to prove? You got nothing on me. I fell once. I did my time. I owe you nothing. He's clean, Joe. Why'd you do that? I'm not giving you any trouble. I got no reason. You got nothing on me. I got nothing to worry about. I'll go with you. There's no reason not to. You mean what these guys say is true? You've been mixed up in some robberies? Oh, knock it off. What do you mean, knock it off? Don't you talk to me like that. I'm not going to take talk like that from like you. Like I said, knock it off. All right, come on. Let's go. You really figure you got me for a 211, huh? Yeah, we got the rest of them, too. Peterson and the doc? That's right. I suppose they talked, huh? Yeah, they told us all about it. Sweet racket. Should have known it could only last so long. Should have figured that the longer I played against the house, the shorter my chances were. It is true, and you never told me. All this time, and you never told me you were a crook. Of all the rotten oh, deals... Oh, shut up, will you? Always shooting off your big mouth. Listen, Barney Hanson, I told you before, don't you talk to me like that. I won't take it. You haven't got much choice now, have you, Lily? You know something, cop? What's that? Maybe kind of pleasure to get into a nice, quiet jail. Get away from this dumb broad. She's the dumbest broad in the entire United States and Canada. Real pretty, but boy, she's stupid. Now, I told you, Barney Hanson, I'm not going to have you talk to me like that. Kids are real true. Young, and she's a real true. Let's go. Glad to get away from you. All right, Barney Hanson, that does it. I'm through with you. I've had it. It's going to be a long time before I even talk to you. A long time. Yeah, well, you're right about that. Let's go. <laughs> The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 4th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. In a moment, the results of that trial. Bernard R. Hansen and Martin S. Peterson were tried and convicted of robbery in the first degree. They were filed on for ten counts and received sentences as prescribed by law. Robbery in the first degree is punishable by imprisonment in the state penitentiary for a period of from five years to life. Dr. James Corby was allowed to plead guilty to a lesser charge and was sentenced to one year in the county jail and placed on probation for ten years. One of the terms of his probation being that he is not permitted to operate a rest home. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wynn, Sergeant Vance Brasher.
Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Vic Rodman, Herb Ellis. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. For a million laughs, tune in Chesterfield's Martin and Lewis show, Tuesday on this same NBC station. Ladies and gentlemen, in the fight against an old enemy, polio, medical research has armed us with a powerful new weapon, gamma globulin. Used soon enough, it can prevent the paralyzing effects of polio. But first, you must furnish the raw material, blood. Doctors urgently need your donation of blood to make gamma globulin. So call the Red Cross. Please don't put it off. It's too important. Call the Red Cross tomorrow and make an appointment to give blood. From Dragnet, broadcast on March 15, 1953, that was The Big Impossible. Prior to that, we heard The Best and Worst Dramatic Shows, Part 5 in the series, from Westinghouse and KDKA. Without any further of my lengthy remarks, I shall begin the process of releasing the key and return the room to you, Thursday audience, for your closing questions comments and concerns. Full speech. You have started screen share. Press all day. Enter audio now unmuted. Zoom meeting. Well, very nice job, Daniel. Um, <laughs> I can't think of two shows more different than each other, but enjoyed them both. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. Always enjoy a good dragnet. That was good. And who that I thought it was. I had remembered that there was another one that was a shopping hold up. And at first I thought this was the same one. And the more I heard it, the more I was like, no, this is different. And that came off of YouTube, which I thought was pretty cool for the, for the sound quality. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. That's appreciated. You know me and Daniel. Right, so. Daniel, it's Daniel. Johnny. Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> I really enjoyed both shows. Um, I don't, I don't understand that I never heard your presentations of the KDKA. Oh, they're uh, so far uh, apart. You probably missed it. And and the last couple times I did something different. So. Oh. Yeah. Well, it's part six, side six. This was part five. Yeah. So it's because they said on the other side of the record was. Was part six. Uh, and that has to do with serials. So we'll catch that next time. 
Oh, cool. I really would like to hear that. Right. You know, I loved my soap operas. I thought it was really strange that she didn't smack him. I was almost tempted to break the rules and put it in there. It's because I thought he deserved it. Yeah. Yeah, but then they would have arrested her for smacking him. Oh, no. They, I think they, they probably would have let it, let it go. Yeah. I'm pretty fed up with him as well. You can't talk to me that way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I thought for sure they were going to get a hold of him when he walked into the hospital room and instead he was gone. That was kind of a yeah. surprise. And I love it when they got the little guy and he was all trying to wrestle around the room. So, get him, get him. <laughs> so, thank you, Daniel. You're welcome. Playing. Yeah, that was bang up, sir. Especially the Dragnet. You know me and Dragnet, so. Yeah, yeah, Dragnet's always good. Yes, sir. You bet. It is. Do you know, Joni, you like Fugan C minor, and you had pointed out one time that they made several mistakes in that one? Yeah. And they kind of covered them up. Somebody suggested in an archive that that's a rehearsal recording. Do you know if they made those? Oh yeah, there's they, they. I mean, they do have plenty of rehearsal shows out there, um, like even with Benny and Gunsmoke, and so there are recordings of rehearsal shows out okay. there. Yeah, so mm -hmm. so it could be a recur uh, recording rehearsal. Yes, it could they, very well they be. They said that they they felt that the original had been lost, and what we have is a recording of a rehearsal show. That could be. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, because there are several mistakes in it. Right. And like there's one particular Gunsmoke episode, I think it's called The New Hotel, where there's a lot of goofs and fluffs and whatnot. And, you know, it's it's, it's interesting to, to listen to, but it's a rehearsal and, you know, yeah. Yep. Well, Max Mead last week played the rehearsal of the new hotel and there was a lot of laughing and all kinds of stuff inside jokes that it, you know if you were just a listener I didn't get that I didn't get what those jokes meant maybe a couple of them but now this week this week he's going to play the uh the broadcast of the new hotel. Hotel. Some of Fred Allen's humor goes across uh, past me because his was so, uh, you know, timely that if you didn't, if you weren't there, you didn't know what he was talking about. Exactly. A lot, a lot of Fred Allen's humor goes by me. The audience will laugh, and I'm like, "What was funny about that?" <laughs> yeah. That that's why I'm get into a lot of the old um comedy stuff i mean it doesn't i don't care it doesn't make any difference to me you know oh i like some of it i like abbott and Costello. Well, the, burns I, and allen Jeez, I what, burns and allen and fibber mm -hmm. mcgee and molly and mm -hmm. uh, but uh, you know the, the variety shows i just i don't care about them one I was looking up Fibber McGee for Christmas shows, and we could do a whole marathon on Fibber McGee Christmas shows. I mean, he has. I'm, I'm going to mute for a minute, but yeah, I'm still going to be here, but I'll, I'll be back. 
It's absolutely unbelievable. You could you could have a whole marathon. Right. I'm gonna well, go, go ahead and make you the host, sir, if you don't mind, Mr. Daniel. Ahead, I'm fine. How how well how before you take off there, Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. good. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. yeah, I'm doing good. Um yeah, thank you for asking. No, I'm doing good. I like the show where Fibber decides to make Aunt Sarah's fruitcake. And he's found the recipe, and he's reading it, and he's saying, take a large bowl and break. So he breaks it. He doesn't look further. <laughs> and that is so funny. So then it's break six eggs and um, get a pound of of all these different fruits. And he finally, with Molly's help, because he's really messed up the kitchen, well, they finally put it in the oven. And they take it out, and they taste it, and it's horrible. And he was bragging about how good Aunt Sarah's fruitcake was, or how, yeah. So then he says, oh, now I remember about Aunt Sarah's fruitcake. Nobody liked it. Well, that's about it with fruitcake. But he had put, he had put like a pound of this and a pound of nutmeg, and a pound, he didn't know anything about what he was doing. So no wonder it tasted horrible. Good fruitcake is good. Poor Fibber, he he never knew what he was doing <laughs> with that's anything. True. Well, we we knew a guy who was kind of like Fibber. In fact, uh, uh, we always used to say, Keith is kind of like Fibber. You know, he, he'd come up with these, 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 these ideas about this and that and the other, and he'd try this scheme and that scheme and whatever. And, uh, uh, yep. Keith was kind of like Fibber McGee. Interesting. I'm going to find it and play it for Christmas. That is cool. Uh oh, you've got a. Sounds like you've got a short in your microphone. I, I may, I may have. Let me, let me. Think. If if you were doing it for a purpose, to actually eat it or something like that, that would be one thing. But they just basically cut the head off, put it on the ship, and then let the sharks eat the body. They don't. Yeah. Care. It's like, no, we're just wasteful, and that I can't handle. Yeah. Well, the story is about the you know it's sort of like Captain Hook and the alligator. You know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's it's, it's the same storyline, you mm-hmm. know. Or maybe Captain Hook came after that, but they have the 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 major thing is going after this one white whale. But while they're doing that, they also go after these smaller whales, and they do all of this and this and that. Like I say, for nothing more than just to have good luck or something like this. And so they they put the head of the of this lesser whale on the on the ship's mast for for a good luck charm. And they let the sharks just munch on the rest of the body. They don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When was it written? 1500s? 1600s? Yeah. Later, late, late 1800s or so. Well, before our time, before oil came out of the ground, I mean, people used to use whale oil sure. for their lamps, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Like before coal. Yeah. Before they, you know, found a lot of coal, mm-hmm. you know, whaling and whale oil was a was a big market. It, we sure, we damn sure. near got rid of all, yeah. you know, fished them to extinction. Mm-hmm. That that's I, I understand that that's the setting of Moby Dick. Is that's why these whalers whaled, right? Well, but then see, at, at while they were getting rid of the sperm whales because they needed the oil. They were also getting rid of right whales. They were getting rid of all kinds of other species of whales for no other reason that they existed and they were just grabbing up out of the water, like for target practice or something. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's not a story that uh, set well with me either. I don't know. I just, I could never get into it. Mm-hmm. I'd take Bambi over that if you had to. Bambi is watch a movie. I'll watch did, Bambi. Did you see? Did you ever read the book, Bambi? <laughs> no, the book is. I awesome. read the book Moby Dick in school. Okay, and that's what made me think I'd like to watch the movie. If if you ever get a hold of a copy of Bambi, the book, if you're interested in reading it, it is amazing. I oh, read, is it? I read it when I was like 14 or so, and had seen the Disney movie Bambi, and I'm like, oh, this is going to be a kids' book. Oh no, it was a totally different animal. I was like, oh, really? Great. It's on the it's on the uh, kind of the thing of Watership Down in its own way, because the oh, animals good. talk and they have feelings and they you know go around. And, yeah, it's very interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I have to remember that. If, if you can find a copy of it online, even you know, grab it and if you can stand to sit there and read a screen, you know, do it that way. It is it is a good book. You will enjoy it. Well, I used to listen to. I used to read a lot. I think I'm up until about two thousand six or seven. Mm-hmm. Then I started listening to audiobooks. Trouble is, when you listen to an audiobook when you lay down in bed, it puts me to sleep usually. Yeah, I have to kind of constantly rewind thirty seconds, rewind two minutes, but eventually I'll get it done. If it's one that holds my attention, sometimes I'll listen to it and then realize, you know what? I'm just not getting anywhere with this thing. Yeah, go ahead and delete it. And we'll try something else. Well, I used to buy them on CD. Yeah, I have a couple of different CD books. Yeah, they were a pain in the ass that way. Yeah. You know, they didn't, you'd fall asleep and then you don't know where the hell you left off. Right. Some of them. We're divided into chapters. Yep. But not all of them. 
and some of them were just divided into five-minute segments, and then yeah. divide the chapter. So you'd have chapter one, and then you'd have it divided into as many five-minute segments as it could get into, and then chapter two, and they would divide that into as many five-minute segments. So that way, then if you did fall asleep, you could you know bring it back to as close to what you could remember as possible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember it was a pain in the patoot. Mm-hmm. I used to read a lot of, um, you know, science books and theology books and philosophy books. And I used to really like the old stuff like Aristotle. And uh, the old masters, as they called them. Mm-hmm. The old philosophers yeah. kind of enjoyed uh, a lot of that, but uh, but yeah, I got I got out of that. I don't mind novels, but I haven't read a lot in the last 10, 10 12 years. Listening to too much old time radio, I guess. <laughs> Where's my dog? It is so quiet. It's all cloudy here. It's not particularly cold. It's about it was above zero most of the day. Okay. With no sun and all these dark gray clouds. We had all kinds of sun here, and but it was a little cool and uh, not really windy, but it was just cool. So we had the sun for part of the time and then it would disappear behind the cloud and then come out again. Yeah, I don't buy days like that. I just don't oh, like it when the sun doesn't come out at all. Yeah, that's 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 awful. <laughs> and it doesn't rain or anything. Yeah. It's just it's just gloomy, yeah, the whole day. Yeah, that's depressing. Yeah, it's kind of ominous. Mm. Kind of ominous. Right. I had these birds today in my yard that I haven't seen before. I may have seen them before, but I can't remember what they are. Did you just a picture and look it up on Google? No, well, I have an app that uh, that I have that uh, I can save them when I find them and stuff. And okay. Tells, tells you all about them, right? Uh-huh. I'll have to go into that app and check it out. They're, they kind of look like a sparrow, but they're twice the size. Wow. And I think they were attacking a sparrow's nest. And one of them hit my porch door. And I went outside to see if he was okay, but he was gone. So he must have been all right. He must have been. And I thought sparrows were the ones that usually attack other birds. No, no not really. They're too small. Oh, okay. Layla. Had a lot of moose calling, like like the moose moose are in rut. There's a lot of moose noise, moose noise the other night, and uh, coyotes. The full moon, like Halloween, right? Oh, yeah. In the days leading up to the full moon, then the coyotes are howling. Mm -hmm. Sounded like they were going after moose. The other night, 
Well, he's a moose calls and Kylan yelping. And I should try and get that on. I've got one. I've got one of those Sony stereo, you know, video or audio recorders. Uh-huh. I should really go out there with it and record some of this stuff. Yeah. Play yeah. that on a Saturday night. Be cool for a winter's tale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, man, I'm getting about ready for bed here. Okay. Already tomorrow where you are. Yes, sir. It's good chatting, though. Always. Yeah. Always, always. I'm just missing Rick tonight. Yeah. Yeah, we need him in here. Are you recording everything, you bugger? Are we? You are. Did we not turn that off? Nope, still it says recording next to your name. Let me shut it off. Don't let all this Oh, he's gonna be pissed. Is that are you recording that on your thing? Or is that gonna go up? Oh well, I guess Bob can listen to us talk. <laughs> 